With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast, your weekly audio counselling class for long-suffering Fulham fans from all across the globe. My name is Sammy James, and on a day when news emerged that a famous old London club sacked its manager named Slav, we will discuss if time is also up for our very own Slav man after a third defeat in four for the Whites against table-topping Wolves. All the fallout from Friday's match and plenty to discuss as it is the end of the line for Craig Klein, with that situation making plenty of headlines, including his famous sumo PR stunt suggestions. Uh, speaking of which, in the ring with me tonight is three Fulham FC heavyweights who go under the chaconas of Don Betts. Hello, hello. Ben Jarman. Hello, friends. And Jack J. Collins. Hello, listeners. Using you by your full title today, Jack, which I know you love. I do like that. I do like that. You do like the extra J in your name. It's just It just gives me a little bit of distinction from all the other Jack Collins. We have plenty to discuss tonight. Obviously, Friday was a shit show all round and uh, lots of fallout from that. No punches pulled to begin <laughs> no. with on the Flemish pod. Hashtag uh, our view. And all of the Klein stuff to come on to as well. But first of all, uh, some three-word reviews from Friday night um, against Wolves. I imagine they're not pretty reading, Jack. No, they're not. It's a little bit messy. In the, in the, in the post bag, shall we say, um, Adam Farquharson, or AF, as, as it said, is a... Uh, our Aita. social boy. He is our social boy, so shout out to Adam. Uh, he said, Aite blackmail continues, which I enjoyed. Um, <laughs> uh, Aussie Cottagers exactly as expected. Lars Anderson's outcoached every game. And Richard Bamber's three questions. Tactics, confidence, belief. Well, he certainly was outcoached on Friday, Slav. Um, Nuno Espirito, we know um, all about his quality. And it was an easy 2-0 win for Wolves on Friday. Just to say, before we get into all that game, this season, Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes. And right now, Fulhamish listeners bet £5, get 20 quid. That means if you deposit a 5 at Ladbrokes, we'll add another £20 to your account. You can get this offer by following the link at... bet.fulhamish.co.uk bet.fulhamish.co.uk smashed it boys so it was a very lackluster defeat against Wolves at Molyneux Uh, Jack and I were up there as was Dom as well now we felt like a side just going through the motions for me waiting to be beaten lacking in confidence lacking in belief lacking in heart it smacked of a performance for a side that for me has completely given up am I being a bit harsh there Jack? Uh, no I don't think so It, it just seemed like we had absolutely no luster no sparkle no shine and I didn't know what to make of it almost. It was, you know, they scored and, you know, Wolves sort of celebrated and Fulham just went, sort of, okay, fine, that's happened. And then they scored again and we were all just like, well, is this just what it's going to be like? Are we are we going to stay like this? But it almost seemed at that point that Wolves weren't that interested in being us by any more than that. And I think if they had been, they could have done. And it, it really did seem like we were just sort of going through the motions and and waiting for a change to come, which doesn't seem to be forthcoming at any point soon. I don't know why specifically, but it felt a bit like a few years ago when we went up to Anfield, it was Martin Yole's final game, and we got smacked 4-0. And there was just no pride in the performance. We didn't even look like a side 
capable of winning, with any belief whatsoever. I just, I cannot believe it's come to this, Ben. It felt like in an FA Cup game when you get like a conference side that plays against a Premier League side and everything that gets chucked at the Premier League side, they just bat away with like without even blinking of an eye. It, it was that, it was that por- uh, horrible to watch. We didn't have anything going forward. We didn't look anywhere near the team that we were last year. There was no structure um, to the to the way we were going forward in itself. And the midfield three just literally felt like huff and puff for the whole whole ninety minutes, and they didn't offer or create anything and the front three were just completely ineffective um dom still no start for schwaz why is slav insisting with with Sess at left back it seems it seems completely ridiculous to i me. mean it, it's more not just because he keeps insisting he says at left back but it's starting to ponder the question that why have we signed him because mm. if he's not going to play him at left back there's no point bringing him on loan with you to a permanent deal which and that fee was quite a high fee i think it's like 12 15 million 15 million euros but one thing that annoyed me about the game, me and you mentioned it, me and Ben mentioned it two weeks ago, that there's no point having possession for the sake of having possession. And that's what it felt like. I think we had like 53, 54% of the ball, but what did we really do with it? The only chances we had was McDonald chance for a score. That's more of a half chance, really, than when Aite goes through on goal. And it's like, one of the Aite chance, why is he hitting it in the near post? Just smash it across the goalkeeper. And that's what you need to be doing. We said it before, that Aite is not that player you want when you have those one-on-one clinical chances. For me, if that's Lucas Piers on, that's a goal. Yeah, I agree completely. I think for, for uh, in terms of the whole feel of the game, it was just like er- we were completely outcoached at every single opportunity. The way Wolves set up was just to exploit us as soon as we overcommitted men in the midfield and just to hit us with a long diagonal ball out to two of the most impressive backs in the league in uh, Barry Douglas and uh, Matt Doherty, who we said pre-season that we would love to, him to be a part of the Fulham team at some point. Um, but those two just exploited us. And I think Nuno really recognised that we overcommit our midfield too far and we leave a back three of McDonald and the two centre-backs completely isolated at all times. And they just exploited that. They just got in behind the wingers and that was where all the, uh, that's where all the problems came from. And we Slav is so stubborn that he doesn't alter his tactics to accommodate for that. And that was really disappointing to see. I, so I said it in a tweet, it's just stubborn. It's just shameful, really. You do say that, and I do agree with you, but both the goals came from such simple set pieces, and they didn't get in behind too much or create too many clear-cut opportunities, which frustrates me even more that actually I felt that we kept this Wolves side at bay. And yes, you could argue maybe Wolves didn't even need to bother after going 2-0 ahead, and maybe they were in second or third gear and had plenty left in the tank and probably could have swept past us easily if they needed to. Mm. But when you're facing such an uphill struggle against such an informed side, to concede two soft, soft goals like that, especially the first against Saiz, where Fred just completely loses his man. Yeah, it's diabolical defending in that first corner. But, you know, at the same time, they won that corner and you, you we, we said at the time, we were like, that was a silly corner to give away. And at the sec for the second goal, I remember seeing they attacked they attacked Cess down the left, and I was like, he's either going to commit a foul here or he's going to get burned. And then he walked away, and it really annoyed me. And he walked away from the ref when the ref was calling me. He got booked because he walked away, not because of the foul. It wasn't it wasn't a foul, you know, that he he would have been booked for. And I said, we're going to get punished for this, and it went. I remember you know, actually specifically saying that he isn't making this up for once. Yeah, it was it was one of the it was just one of the things I've seen. I was just watching it, going, "Well, this is this is going to happen now. If we're going to get punished for these things, he knew for a fact that if he got free kicks in those areas after they scored the first goal, that they were going to put it in a dangerous area, and we were going to you know put under get put under pressure." 
and, and that's exactly what happened with the second. And to be honest, I thought it was straight in. I didn't realise it had taken a flick off Bonatini, but I think it probably would have gone straight in anyway because yeah, it, it didn't been. look like, you know, we could have at any point dealt with that delivery. And it, it, simply, it simply was... They they went a two 0 lead and then they decided to coast. They should have, but for a David Button, you know, kind of two good, really good saves in the second half, we would have lost that game four 0 And I think kept them at bay. I think they were they they were toying with us, with us at times with the amount of things. And in what you what you just said about possession brought up something in the mem- in my memory. And I was looking at Kevin De Bruyne this weekend, and one of the things he quoted as saying last week was. Guardiola hates the word possession where we just keep it at the back with the goalkeeper. He does not like where you pass it just to pass it. And it seems a lot of the time that Fulham passed it just to pass it and, and, and it is they, very much one of those. They did against Wolves. It was very much a languid side-to-side, back-to-front or backwards performance. And like like Pep says, like, and we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, Dom, for possession for possession's sake doesn't do anything. Possession of a purpose is where you start to stand out, which is why you see someone like Napoli have attracted fans from all the way across to Europe because they use possession well and they attack with it. Fulham last year done exactly the same. This year, it feels like Slav is absolutely concerned with uh, possession levels over actually doing something with the ball and like just circulating the ball for no reason. Last year, there was a method and there was a purpose to it. This year, it feels languid. It feels passive and horrible. Tom, last season, Fulham had so many shots, it was ridiculous. We scored the most goals in the league, but we actually had one of the poorest shot-to-goal conversion ratios. We did have have Shawnee Aluko. I know we had Shawnee Aluko, but it still shows how many shots we had. It was an insane amount. And we've gone from that last season to in the last two games, having four on target, and some of those barely count as shots on target so I remember one on Friday was I think it might have been Font or something I think he had to go from 30 yards and it just dribbled into the keeper probably counted down as a statistic but we just seem to have absolutely no spark up front well yeah I think I said said this there's every single person I met in the entirety of Wolverhampton that how have we spent 15 million pound and our start 11's got worse I don't understand how that works like we'll get on to the whole Slav Klein transfer business but I just you, that's just not viable. You can't spend fifteen million pound. I know it's basically on two strikers, but we've pretty much we've definitely got a worse team than we had last season. I don't know if it's a confidence issue or anything, but or they're just too tired or whatever. But it's you can't be spending that much money and making the team worse. And obviously, we've looked at what our issues have, and it has been scoring goals because we haven't we haven't conceded like a lot more than anyone else. We just can't seem to put the ball in the back of our net. And I think the problem is is our mid, our midfield and our attack aren't connected. Just, we have like three different like thirds of the pitch in a way. Our defence is our defence, midfielders on midfield, and our forwards are forward. There's nothing linking it all together. So like last season when you had the centre-halves pass the ball to McDonald, who had the ball to Johansson, who had then had the ball up to Kearney, who'd be linking the play up between the front three or front or when it was a front four. So it's just more, there's no interlinking play between the whole team. It just seems like very rigid and we're just keeping the ball for keeping the ball safe. And I said, there's no point having the ball if you're not going to do anything with it. We might as well not have the ball and becoming and become a counter-attacking side with about a pace we've got out wide. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Without that, That's exactly the point I was about to make about changing the style without Kearney because, you know, without that kind of like dynamic 10 who looks to break forward and, and release players in, in a kind of quick manner, it really really makes us very languid and, and it just opens up that gap. Like you say, it's not like we have Chris Martin who could hold the ball up and wait for other people to, to bring him into play. And, you know, if Rui Font's dropping deep anyway, which is having to do to get the ball, and I, 
I don't think he's having a particularly good time here, but I also don't think this is can be laid squarely at his door. He's having to come deep because the ball is simply not getting to him. And I think that you're completely right. If, we, if we're going to play like that, then play with Rufon as a false nine. Drop him into the top of that kind of midfield and play with just two really lightning quick wingers on the break on the shoulder of the last man. That's a different style of play, but it might work. But it's more to do with, I don't think this is to do with the fact that we don't have you know, certain players. I think it's the fact that if Kearney's not there and we don't have a, you know, a dynamic number 10 who's willing to change defence into attack quickly, then the entire system doesn't work. Yeah, this is the thing. When, it, when Wolves did eventually get their play broken down by our defence, there is literally no one taking it out of the danger zone. It's literally Kevin McDonald or one of the wing-backs in the far corner of the pitch just trying to play their way out of a, of, of a pothole, essentially. Last year, we would have, you know, Kearney or Johansson drag it out of, of that defensive third and we'd have the pressure on automatically onto the other team. This year, there's, not, there's none of that. There's no impetus. There's no passing and moving. The amount of times that we would get in a good position in the midfield and look to do like a one-two pass and the other person wouldn't run for the ball was so frustrating. Uh, one of the prime candidates is Ollie Norwood, who to say. literally just at any given time will just drop off and just try and create a space that forces the ball backwards, and therefore it gives the opposition time to reset. And that happens so many times against Wolves. It's just infuriating. Norwood's such a Hollywood player, and I've said this a number of times, but what he likes to do is get the ball deep, and then like look to like <coughs> spray the ball, and look to spray it like into, into a wide area or over the top. And that's not how Fulham's kind of set up to play and so I think that you know Steph's having a terrible season and I don't think anyone anyone can can doubt that but I also think he's struggling without like a player to play off so like when Kearney and Johansson play together and I'm talking about a fit Kearney not you know this half-hearted Tom Kearney that we've had around the last couple of weeks half-baked Tom Kearney yeah um he in both senses of the word and he <laughs> he'd, what he'd do is he'd play like a one-two with Steph and Steph would then move off him and he'd know that that pass was coming back from Kearney but he knows for a fact that if he plays the ball into Norwood. Norwood's going to drop off with it and turn around rather than kind of looking looking for that forward momentum. And what we had basically last year, we put it down as a 4-2-3-1, but that's not actually how we played. It was like a 4-3-3 with McDonald at the pivot and then Johansson and Kearney sort of ran on ahead of him. And while we said loads of times that Ke- Johansson was a link man, that he went up and down while Kearney sort of, they sort of floated around in the trek with his the hole. He kind of... Is he was that player because his movement with Kearney would allow him to do that. And with Norwood, you don't get that because it's now a 4-2-3-1. And Norwood it's drops so into that. It's yeah. really rigid. And Norwood drops into the space next to McDonald. And that's why I think we're seeing more from McDonald because he's going, actually, I can't just be a defensive midfielder in this setup. Yeah. Because he's... And then we're getting caught on the break and, and on the is, counter. This is exactly what happened last year at the start of the season when we were playing that double pivot of McDonald and Bang Parker. On. McDonald sort of realised pretty early on that he needs to do more than just one thing, which is sit there and play the ball and do his job that he's required to do. And just tactically, it wasn't working. People were getting through our midfield so easily because he's the only one there that will put a foot in and actually block. And that's why we're getting torn to shreds now because he's more and more exposed. And Norwood, as Jack rightly says, is just a Hollywood player. And the amount of times that we're going to see that outside of the foot skimmer ball just go out of play throughout the season is going to reach triple figures at some point, I'm sure. I mean, it was really comparable to the way Arsenal set up against Man City yesterday Mm. when he did a double pivot of Granit Xhaka and Francis Coquelin. Why? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) one, you haven't been playing that formation all season, talking about Arsenal, but it's like you need something to link the three behind the one and the two. You can't just have two rigid bangs. That that isn't how the formation works. Because as you said 
last season, although on paper it looked a 4-2-3-1, in a sense, it was more like a four-one-one-one-two-one because it was like yeah. okay, you know, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, Johansson, <laughs> What's a formation? Johansson and or maybe a four-one-one-three-one, whatever you want to say. But it's like the way it was working is you had a, a, a register or a DM, however you want to describe Kevin McDonald's role. Mm. Then you had a box-to-box player in Johansson. Then you had advanced playmaker and Tom Kearney with. They were almost like in a line lined up, like yeah, in a straight line. And, it, and then you obviously have the both sort of in, in, inverted wingers inside forwards, inside forwards whatever, yeah. whatever you want to call them, out wide and. It just doesn't work the way we our team set up now because that, that formation doesn't work without Tom Kearney because no. what's Johansson running off? Not precisely. Yeah. It's all ifs and buts. What is Johansson, no, Johansson's getting a lot of stick and a lot of grief and yes, he's not playing well. This isn't you know the, the defence of Stefan Johansson show. What I'm saying is that it's very difficult for him to play that kind of link-up role if there's There's nothing to, to link. link. Yeah. yeah, It's all kind of ifs and buts but if Lucas Piazon was fit, would that solve the problem I wouldn't, say, some I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it would solve the problem, but it would be, be better. It would be better because yeah. as as we looked at the beginning of the season, we sort of had a replacement for every single position, but Pearson was the only replacement who could play number 10, whereas out wide and in centre mid, we had a lot more options, I'd say. But yeah, Pearson was the only one who else could, who could play number 10. He isn't a natural number 10, and obviously Tom Kearney is, and that's where why he was so successful last season. But the problem is Slav is as you said, stubborn and he doesn't want to seem to change his system. I don't know why that is because it's clearly clear to see that if we're going to be playing with the with wingers and then this midfield we're playing now, it's going to work better as a counter-attacking side and playing mm. it out wide and then back, getting them on a counter-attack and then swinging the ball into font. But that's simply how we're not playing. It just doesn't make any sense. That's the only system that actually accommodates that Hollywood Norwood ball because... <laughs> If he's allowed to sit back and we're playing counter-attacking, the wingers are, are up top and on the shoulder, then he can play those diagonals into the corners and let them chase it. It's the only way it's going to accommodate I mean, we Norwood. S- we saw it at Forest once uh, Molo and Cabano were both on the pitch at the same time. We were, we were just counter-attacking Forest because they were having the ball attacking our goal. And then Cess and Molo would be linking up, Fredericks and Cabano would be linking up, and we were just getting in behind Forest, and it was very successful. That's why we scored a couple of late goals in that game. I know one of them was a free kick, but we kept attacking them and... It kind of works. I don't see why we haven't done this until Tom Kearney's 100% fit. Just play a different style of football because you don't win the league. You don't win anything just playing one style of football. You can say, yeah, Pep Guardiola just plays like possession-based football, but he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Isn't it quite hard, though, to go from a game that's totally based around possession, a team that's totally used to sometimes even having up to 70, even at points last season, nearly 80% possession in a game, to go to a counter-attacking style where you let the other team have more of the ball? Is that not quite a big adjustment to make? Yeah, well, it is. But at the same time, like you sh- we shouldn't have one system that relies completely on one player. And if that player is injured, then the system becomes completely inept. Because... You know that's bad management. That's bad coaching. Like you can't yeah. just rely on if you if you have a team based on one player and then as soon as that player is gone, then then it completely falls apart. Then that's awful. You know, as in we know Tom Kelly is important. We always knew this, but at some point he was going to get injured, banned, whatever. We couldn't. There there had to be some sort of like other option. Doesn't seem like there is. Well, no, there isn't. But that's the point. What we're saying here is, you're, you're right. It's not easy to transition from one of these games to another. But they just seem like have, the two polar opposites. But someone should have thought about this. <laughs> like, as in, and that person is not us. We're not. We're not paid to think about this. People are paid to like actually actively coach these players in learning how to play different styles of football. Hey, there's that's a few stats it. rolls going. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, I thought that after this Bristol City game, we may we may persist with. Uh, sort of like three slash five of the back system and just try and use the wing backs for countering and to, to keeping some sort of possession, like a mixture of both. But it just c- kind of feels like, oh, we picked it up, we tried it once, 
didn't really work. We'll drop it again. Like we did last season with the three at the back against Reading. I guess if the only teams that have beaten Wolves this season has, has lined up as a three at the back with wing backs and they've really troubled them. And that is the counter to the way they play. And we just sort of ignored it. Yeah, another thing is we don't seem to adapt the way we play to the teams we play. No, we don't. It's we, a sl- uh, we, slav. It's yeah. a very stubborn thing to do. Yeah, he just sticks with the system he thinks works, and it well clearly hasn't been working. But when you play when you play something a team who's who's top of the league, you adapt to the way they play and then find a way to counteract that. You don't try and outplay every opposition using the style of football you're playing when you're sat fifteenth in the table or whatever <laughs> it was. Do you? Yeah, well, no, of course not. And also, it makes zero sense to play three at the back and wing backs against Wolves who play with that system and therefore. It, it would make sense to, to play people in that system is one thing. To play against Bristol Rovers who don't use that system and and their and their and their their wingers play inverted like ours do in order to to try and cut inside the fullbacks, that makes no sense because we knew for a fact he was going to let Callum O'Dowda loose on Tim Ream, which is lunacy. But to play against Wolves, where like it would have suited them because they play big man up front, you know, and then the wide, you know, the wide players stay wide. That's kind of their game. They, they, you know, you look at you look at Douglas and you look at Doherty, but also you look at you know um, Caviero and 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 Hotter, and you you realise that they're wide players. Yes, they do create opportunities, and yes, they like to get on the end of each other's crosses. That's one thing, but they do tend to take the ball down the channels. And it makes no sense that if I can see that, Slav can't. Well, Sam from the Wolves podcast that I spoke to on Wednesday, now I can't remember if it was in the interview or it was the little bit of ramble we had off air just before it, said that's the way to play against Wolves is that uh, playing that back three. That's always been our problem this season. And sometimes when t- teams have lined up against us and just done it slightly better, we've we've come a bit unstuck. Not that I think any formation would have uh, helped us to a win on Friday mm. night. We just looked so apathetic and so demoralised. And that's what I kind of want to come on to next. How much pressure is Slav really under? We've had a bit of distraction from this whole Craig Klein thing that we'll come on to in a little bit, but come on, this cannot continue for much, much longer. I think if he doesn't get anything res- like acceptable or respectable out of the Derby game and the Sheffield United game, he is, he could easily be gone by the time he play Millwall at home. Be- I, I don't think it will be. I think I don't I think, think it one, will be. But I think it's one still, of the statements it will still be an understandable. I wouldn't blame Shade Khan for doing so. No, no, not too, not me. Um, I, I think one of the statements that that's probably most clear from the whole client situation is that they will almost certainly give Slav a window now. I think that uh, unless there is unless we lose every game from here till Christmas, uh, I think they'll probably give Slav a window to sign try and sign his own players, and and they'll say we came out to back the manager in his own system and I think you know there's there's there is credence to that and there is credit but at the same time I, I'm not convinced we've won four of our last 18 home games um that's not a good enough record for a team that's wanting to push up promotion but I think the, the key word in your question was distraction and and the obviously the removal of Klein has been somewhat of a distraction to how poor the team has been playing and how well recent results have been going and we will obviously come to cover this at some point, but the removal of Klein, now obviously someone who felt like he could never be removed because he's one of Shahid Khan's sort of like Jacksonville Jaguars imported, you know, assets. The removal of him now feels like they're going to fully back Slav and that feels, that sort of gives me the confidence that he won't go for the next few games. Yeah. Um, and I think that he can turn it around and he is a good coach and ultimately he coached us to a good point last year, um, albeit the summer transfer window was a bit of a letdown. 
But Slav, he definitely has something there. And we've seen it with Watford and we saw it with us last season. There is some sort of talent there and Slav can get us out of it. Um, I agree with Jack. As soon as we get to January and, and Shahid Khan comes out and we buy a certain type of player, if Sh- if Slav does go, it'll be we okay. We got rid of the stats guy. We backed the manager. It didn't work. Back to square one. I mean, another thing to say, I wasn't expecting to get any points out of the two games this week. It's no, I, I do agree with you. Because point, yeah. our, one, our record against Bristol City at home is absolutely awful. I think we've <laughs> lost, was it was that our fourth one we've lost in a row? Yeah. And and then our record, mind you, I don't remember the last we won there, really. The, the one in the snow, we didn't win. We won it on penalties. That doesn't count. <laughs> as much of a great away day it was, we didn't win that. I think it's been probably 20, 30 years since we actually won at Molyneux. So if we look, looking that way, you could have expected zero points, but it's not. It isn't the results I was. I was really caring about. It's just That's the way. It's the way we played in both of the games. The way we set, our, set ourselves up. It's like we set ourselves up in the Wolves game. How we've been set up against Bristol, and how we set up against Bristol is how we should have been set up against Wolves. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you got the two teams mixed up or something, but but did you not think that the fact that we can see that and Slav can't says so much about? Oh like, no, it speaks. It speaks volumes. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, but we've been saying for years that Fulham look at times completely inept on the pitch and that the normal man can see it in the stand but we must have some sort of team in the stand being like okay this isn't working we need to change because yeah, do if we, we don't then we do yeah well, then we need one we're, we're, all, we're here <laughs> give us a shout yeah. well to be fair there does sound like plenty of unrest uh, in the backroom teams at Fulham we'll come on to that in just a little bit I just want to ask you one question before we come on to Klein et al um, the last two international breaks we've bemoaned the timing massively especially after the Forest and QPR games where it suddenly felt like we were on a run it felt like it was a real a real staller for us and after the Ipswich game as well this one couldn't have come at a better time at all feels like we really need that couple of weeks just to reset if we've got any chance of picking our form up. And it is possible because you've seen in the last few weeks some teams have massively turned things around from looking pretty desperate a few weeks ago. I'm looking at QPR, looking at Brentford, even looking at Reading who picked up a a big win on Saturday. So all's not lost as horrific as the situation is right now and how bad the performances have been. Agree. I, I disagree that it's probably come at a good time because surely if you've just been tonked by one of your rivals and lost at home, then the next thing, the last thing you'd want is a break where you have two weeks to sit on it and just think, okay. Yeah, I don't think an international break can ever come at a good time. No, I agree. No, no footballers really just want to, except for the ones going on international duty, obviously, but most of them, most of the games apart from the World Cup playoffs are just pointless friendlies, really. So I think I don't think an international break ever comes at a good time. I think everyone, all footballers, just want to continue playing. But I think it will give, hopefully, Slav will get 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 a kick up the arse and say, well, maybe I need, give you give me two weeks to find out what other systems I can play to maybe not. I wouldn't say just a solely counter attacking style, but maybe surrendering some of our possession to and then finding more avenues down other ways to to attack the opposition. Because if he focuses on Derby, who have played pretty well this season, I think they're sitting pretty close to the playoffs, if not in them, that, yeah, we find a way to counteract them. And I think hopefully he does that instead of just persisting with the same old possession rubbish. Potentially he can go and see some friends. and You know, he might be friends with Slaven Bilic. Maybe he can come in and give us a hand because right now we need something that isn't... Not, not the way how tactically inept Slaven Bilic has looked. Well, I mean, there must be a thing with the name. But, like, as a point, I agree with you, Sammy. I, I actually think that the international break has come at a good time for us. And I think that it's very, it is very important that, it's, it, that something like that 
you know, give some Fulham some time to recover, to think about it, to to talk talk it through, and and for someone to come up with some sort of plan because right now we look hopeless on the field. The players are fighting with each other, which is something we haven't seen. There there is they're arguing with each other on the pitch, which is is something very much we haven't seen in the camp over the last year or so, and it just doesn't look like a happy team. And and a lot of the things I know a lot of that comes from winning games and and you know feeling like you're on a run and not feeling like you're underperforming. But at the same time, someone needs to press the reset button and be like, "Hang on, we are a good side. We haven't, you know, we have some of the best players in the division in, in, in individual roles, and those players aren't performing for whatever reason. Let's get that sorted and have a think about things and and start to put things right after the break." Well, we will come on to what is potentially the root of some of these problems after this. Jack, how do you like your beer? Ideally, in multiple quantities. Well, I can do that in multiple quantities and I can give it to you for free thanks to our mates at Beer52. How does eight free craft beers and you pay only the postage and packaging sound to you? It sounds incredible. Free beer all over the gaff. Shout out to Beer52. You can get that right now by using the code FULHAM at beer52.com. What they'll do is they'll send you a box of beer just like this one we have here. Eight free craft beers straight to your door. All you need to do is use the code FULHAM at beer52.com. Pay the postage and packaging. It's that simple. You going to do it, Jack? Yes, I am. Let's get on it. Sign up now. Fulham at beer52.com. Hello, welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James, still here with Ben Jarman, Jack Collins and Don Betts. So we've had a full fallout from the Wolves game. Now on to the ongoing Craig Klein situation. So I'm going to give a little bit of a summary as to where we are, I think, now. So Craig Klein departed Fulham last Monday, uh, and it's turned out it was in very dramatic circumstances. When Jack and I last spoke on Wednesday, we didn't know the full ins and outs, but we had seen some of the tweets, which we will come on to in just a second. Looks like it was following a dispute about Yukanovic dropping some of his signings, his signings, the Klein signings. We have to put all signings now into one of two camps, either a Slav signing or a Klein signing, seemingly these days, into the under-23s, which from what we've heard from several reports is people like Jallo, Maddle, Molo, Graham. Klein then messaged Peter Grant to not allow this and has requested things like a place on the bench. And it seems like Klein's power... Um, or demand for power has gone to his head. And this is what we believe. And then Shade Khan has reportedly sacked Klein, which prompted him to call the police to Motspur Park. There was a discussion with the police on a picnic bench outside the training ground. Police decided not to press charges or really do anything. Um, And then Klein went on a Twitter rampage on Wednesday, which... um, our account, Fulhamish, um, did screenshots at the time. Jack and I had seen these tweets when we did last week's podcast, but nothing had come out in the press, and we were a little bit nervous you know, to publish details of these tweets when we weren't 100% sure that it was Craig Klein himself. Now it turns out that it definitely was. And, <coughs> I mean, it it's, can be scarcely believed, some of the stuff that he was writing, accusing senior members of the board of violence and of racism and... And my favourite tweet, I think, of all time, where he says he was invited onto Shade Khan's boat, <laughs> and Shade Khan says there's only one way that three people keep a secret, and that's if two of them are dead. Which Hashtag sounds like my president. Get him in. That's it sounds like something CEO. from Pretty Little Liars or like a Netflix show like that or something. It's un- it's unbelievable what what's going on here. I just I just want to get our feelings really on this whole Klein situation and then this crazy mess. And I spoke to the boys from Not The Top 20 about this earlier and they're saying Fulham's a bit of a laughing stock again. After the whole Magat thing, which we thought we'd all left behind, 
and it seems like we're back at square one. I mean, one of the main points, which I think it's only been it's only been rumored, but it was it was a massive falling out between not maybe a falling out, but falling out between Klein and Ali Mack as well. Mm. That's that's what that was the first thing I heard about. about it seems like he had no friends yeah, left. Apparently, he was calling. Apparently, he he thought that Ali Mack was a fraud or something. He was taking money out of the club or something like that. That was all. That was reported through stuff on social media but it's just ever since he's come in it's just been a mess I'm not saying he, he's necessarily done a bad job because I don't think he actually most of his signings apart from Marcelo Jallo I don't I don't know if Zachariah Labiab was one of his when he first came in I think that was before the Klein um, era and then maybe Graham but everyone's complaining but I don't there's not many bad signings he's actually that's actually been made since he's come in and if it is a double tick system then all the players that Fulham were lauding over last season we're pretty much we're playing through, through through his system, but it. I've never understood the purpose of having someone making signings who isn't the manager. This the manager is the one who picks the team. The manager is the one who picks tactics. He knows what players best. See, this is the thing. Now, I've heard it from a couple of sources. Like, I'm not claiming to be the Daily Express or anything like this, but <clears throat> I've heard it on on fairly good authority that apparently Klein has tried to tell Jukanovic who to who to pick and where to play them, even in their not correct for want of a like a better phrase, position. And when we come up against certain opponents, he is telling Jokanovic to what lineup to play and um which personnel to pick. Um regardless of whether they've been training well or not, regardless of how long they've been with Fulham, regardless of their injury status, Klein is telling people who you know, who to play. And that's not his rightful role. What he's there to do is statistically and analyze players that we've got and players that we should potentially be signing and my yeah. my as I alluded to earlier getting rid of Klein feels very much like we've got someone out of the door who feels like he had a bigger power base than he actually does and it feels like just because he's one of um, Tony and Shahid Khan's closest <laughs> friends or business acquaintances that he felt like he could run the club from essentially behind a laptop. Yeah, the job of a data analysis isn't to overrule the manager or work level with the manager. It's no. provide, provide the manager with the information he needs to make adequate decisions. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the whole role of a data analysis. And I know his, his role wasn't actually a data analysis. It was some fancy mumbo-jumbo. Assistant director of football. Yeah, that, that, that operations. Where, where, whatever that is. And like, so he wasn't doing his role really as a data analysis. He wasn't providing Slav with information about his team and certain players who are out there to help him make a more confident decision. He was doing the opposite, in fact. So Mm. I think it's best that he's gone. And Slav knows what kind of football he wants to play. Slav knows what kind of players he needs in what position. So for him to be in charge of transfers, I think always makes a load of sense. There's never been, or there's never not been a problem whenever a team has sort of a director of football role or someone else who's, got hand in transfers it's it never seems to work out i don't mind there being a director of football because it gives a football team a purpose and if the manager and a director of football are on the same page then everyone's a winner but for for me it just felt like there becomes a time when i'm a fully i'm fully advocative of, of stats and you guys know this because i've written various pieces over various amount of time for fulhamish and on my own in my own spare time about stats and how they can influence the game but what you have to remember is that football is a, is a very low-scoring game, perhaps probably the lowest-scoring professional game that there is out there. And stats can play a part in them, but what has to be remembered is that variable factors in football play more of an influence than they do in any other game in the whole world. And there becomes a point where stats become useful and then stats become 
a hindrance. A hindrance. And there has become this point at Fulham's juncture now where it feels like stats have become a hindrance. And they're not being used with um, like a pinch of, I guess, humanity is, is what you want to say because there, there becomes a point where you can line up your ideal form, uh, ideal players and line up on a laptop, but you cannot account for individual errors going wrong on the football field. And it feels like that's where we got we got to a point where we were picking players based upon stats and nothing else. And that's fine in sports where there are low variables. For example, like in American football or ice hockey or like North American sports. Well, I've got nothing been... against that, by the way, just, just to put it out there. But it feels like we, we made... We got to a point where stats became a hindrance and we, we weren't using any human footballing common sense to deduce who we, who we should be picking and who we should be signing. There's a really important point to be made here that, that this shouldn't dissuade Fulham fans or anyone in that matter from, from thinking that analytics in football are a good thing. Like, oh, they are a good thing. They're massively important and massively... And Nick Miller uh, has written an absolute stunner of a piece today on Football.London. And it's um, it, it's really good. It's about how how we shouldn't let this kind of PR fiasco take away from the fact that Fulham are a drastically underperforming team. And in it, he uses a point. He says it will be a shame if this latest episode of statistical and traditional football methods mixing like water and oil dissuades other people from using them. More often than not, it's the people that are the problem rather than necessarily the numbers. And plenty of clubs use such things in a more considered and less dogmatic manner. See, this is my this is my point exactly. It's it's not the figures that we're having a problem with here it's the people that are interpreting the figures yeah and because clary klein for all that he'd done last season in implementing this system of statistics in a in a good way and in a robust way which he must be uh, he must be commended for to a, like, yeah, yeah exactly we shouldn't which, let all of this take away from the fact that clary klein did actually do some good work at fulham and, and that can't be that can't be declined for every aaron moy and tammy abraham that's been reported today that we didn't sign because of the both boxes tick system there were plenty of cameron jeromes yeah craig cathcarts that no one wanted yeah. And would have been poor signings, and the stats has proved something. That's fine, but what what, I'm, what the point I tried to make, although I did slightly ramble and didn't particularly hit it on the head, is, is what is what Nick said, is that we shouldn't be discouraged from using stats, but you have to use them in the correct way. Yeah. And it got to a point where we're not using them in the correct way because the man that is associated with those stats doesn't have any connection to football whatsoever. He's a lawyer. He's, he's not a trained... Well, he's got nothing to do with football. He shouldn't never be on a, a bench next to Peter Grant, that's for sure. And he shouldn't be telling Slavisa Jakanovic who to pick. What he should be saying is, this person would fit well in our system because of XXX. And the scouting system should be saying, OK, great, he can also do this on the pitch, but he's like this off the pitch. Because with every single stat, or every single player that is made a case for stats, there should be some sort of like personality or like human process alongside it via scouting. There's still yes, that was supposed to be the the way it worked. Yeah, exactly. But obviously, it didn't work because the guy. With I mean, the stats it's more about crazy. Everyone, it's what everyone says about stats, and it's the main point. The stats can be interpreted in any way in the world. You can make pretty much any argument about any footballer. You can make a six-one loss sound like you were hard yeah, done. Yeah, like last season, I think Tom Kearney. You could make him sound better than Tony Cruz, like Luka Modric, pretty much any of the top five centre midfielders in Europe. But it's who interprets those stats. Really, because yeah. you could you could just give anyone those stats and they could make any argument to sign their player to fit their agenda, and I think it sh- it is needed in and in, in, when analysing the way you play and how how to improve. But it isn't the be on end all because as you say, human error comes into play. Just the whole humanisation of football comes into play, and it's yeah, I think it's just a whole fiasco that was never gonna 
start well or end well. I just don't think this the, the PR circus surrounding the club right now should distract the fact that Yukanovic isn't getting the best out of his players. It wasn't it wasn't good if you know if 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 what they were said last year is to be believed, it wasn't pretty last year. This system wasn't you know if we, if we're saying that we didn't sign Aaron Moy and and Tammy Abraham whatever last year, well we still got to the playoffs. Like we still you know we still performed and we still you know we're in with a shot of being promoted. Yeah, okay, maybe with those players we would have would have had an even better shot. But the point is that. You know, if Yukanovic could have made it work last season, then we shouldn't let it suddenly be like, oh, he didn't sign the players he wanted, so therefore this season it's not his fault. There are plenty of players out there that are underperforming. I think that's why he's had, he's had a buy for a lot of the time he's been at the club. Yeah, he's, he's better used this whole recruitment yeah. strategy as an excuse if he's not doing well. He's like, oh yeah, these aren't my players, these aren't my signings. I was like, you're still the manager. You're still the player who's setting him out. You're still the one who's setting out the way we play. And I think now Craig Klein's gone, he hopefully, anyway, he hasn't got like an excuse to use if um, his team's not playing very well. All I'm going to say, as much as I love Slav and obviously then Klein is, is also gone now, but Slav is very, very good at, at PR. He's very good at like manipulating yeah. a fan base and, and has been over the past 18 months and I think we'll probably see it for the next couple of weeks as more and more comes out about this. So obviously keep, keep your eyes peeled, um, but obviously nothing detracts from the fact that we haven't uh, picked up some very good results lately. And there's plenty more that you can read and listen about this. There's loads about it on the Fulhamish website. Jack, you wrote a really good column about it. Yeah, um, if you if you read one thing today, uh, go onto our website and read Nick McNee's article about about statistics and why it's so important and and about how statistics can be a force for good or a fuel for bad. It's an absolutely stunning little article, and, and we're very very proud of it on the site. And. Um, there's also more coverage uh, in an audio format on Not The Top 20 podcast. I just spoke to Ali, who runs that uh, before recording today's. I had, a, I had a good 10, 15 minute chat, some different points that we haven't made uh, today on that. And they also had a discussion about it as well. So um, if you do want a bit more in a more general sense and a view from an outside look, and those boys really know what they're talking about, especially when it comes to statistics and all that, definitely make sure you listen to Not The Top 20 podcast. You can find it on iTunes and Acast and whatever the podcast or you listen to so we better come on to some questions before we end today's podcast uh jack what's been coming in on the old post bag well we've had rather a lot which is um which is obviously as you'd probably expect it has been good um so thank you for all your questions so this is from alex at pure power who, who sends us a lot of questions and, and this is a particularly good and particularly pertinent one given what we've just discussed he says is this client disaster exaggerated as a bit of pr to take the pressure off slav it's a difficult situation, but he's still at fault in lots of ways. I'm going to start with you, Sam. Well, I was really thinking this earlier, and I, I wanted to say it in the discussion we just had, but we kind of ran out of time. But my slight worry with this whole thing is, let's not just believe everything we read here. It's very convenient for the club that Klein has come out of this the worst, rather than anyone at the club, rather than Tony, rather than Shahid, and, and all of that, and... There's been lots of tweets going round about saying, um, you know, this man would be great for birthdays and bar mitzvahs and, and, and weddings, but should not be lit near a professional football club. Let's just be a bit careful with that kind of thinking here. I, I don't... This is perfect for the club. I do believe what is reported is roughly based on the truth. But at the end of the day, there's been some poor things that have gone on at this football club and I think the main thing to say here is that as much as this is Klein's fault as much as this is Tony Khan's fault because it's his mate from uni there's one man ultimately responsible for the entire fiasco and that is Shahid Khan and I think he would be saying that himself because he's a very respected business leader and he is the person that has entrusted these people to run 
his business. And he's got that he's got that wrong. And it's not the first time he's got it wrong either after the whole Mullenstein Magap saga that we that we saw um a few years ago. So ultimately one person is, is responsible for picking these people and it is Shade Khan and and the, all the responsibility ultimately lays at his door for me. I don't know if others agree. I think one thing is that I don't know if it is because this is actually happening, but because of the way uh, Klein wasn't happy with the way he was leaving, there could be an ongoing criminal investigation. I'm not. I'm not going to say not. And then because that's going on, there can be certain details that can't actually be released, and it could be one of those things in about two or three years' time that some stupid details get released about something even worse happens behind closed doors. It's only because of other stuff I've read through various sources online about how it was it wasn't just about between Slavisa and um Klein as what I mentioned about it's actually quite a big thing between an argument between Ali Mack and Craig Klein as well and I think it I think it is a very good PR move because because it has given Slav time but it means Slav doesn't have this excuse anymore and he has to get it right mm. it's, it's maybe brought him another maybe two or three months in the job but once he has that January window, which we which we hope and will assume that Shahid will entrust him with to try and push us up, well, I guess, into the playoffs now, because there's absolutely no chance of us getting in the top two. But I think, yeah, I think it's just, it could be one of those things where in two or three years' time, it's just going to be like, what literally happened there? The WikiLeaks of Fulham. Exactly, the Paradise Papers. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be, the Fulhamish Papers. The Cottage Chronicles. We'll you know. release them. Ben? Our view. <laughs> well, one thing you need to know about Xi Khan is that he's always been very good throughout his career of spinning PR in his own favour. And obviously, with the removal of uh, Craig Klein, it sort of diverts any attention away from him and also Tony Khan, who's probably done some bad stuff in his time. I think hiring Craig Klein is probably one of them. Um, I do agree, though. I feel, as I agreed with you earlier, Sammy, it is a distraction from how bad the performances really have been on the pitch, although obviously not in this fan base because we're a bit more intelligent than that, but to anyone on the outside, it feels like um, that it sort of like does make up for what Fulham are doing on the pitch at the moment. Um, I also feel like the blame should be there with Shard Khan, um, but also at the same time, you have to remember that a football club is uh, entrenched in its own ways and and if anyone goes against the grain at a football club, they're most likely to come out with a, in a very bad light and I feel like that's what Craig Klein is and this is where the Ali Mack um, accusations come in for is that Ali's been at Fulham for a very very long time and he's an integral part to what the club used to be and what the club wants to be now so I feel like any accusations against him um, the person who made said accusations in this case Craig Klein is probably going to end up fall on tough times fall on tough times and yeah. then end up uh not at the club any longer but I do think it is a distracting I do feel like it's been a little bit overblown for PR stunting but to to the people outside the club it's sort of as I said it makes up for the, the shitty performances we've had on the pitch at the moment although to us it sort of like embodies everything that's going on right now everything seems like a bit of a shambles and it's come to a head on the pitch unfortunately indeed alright I'm going to go one more question um, I know we've got some more for the phone in we're going to do later in the week so mm-hmm. we, we we'll keep some questions for then but um this one is from chris harvey it came in on 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 our emails so so thank you chris he says uh, hi lads big fan of the pod but first question do you expect more changes in background staff after the klein gate fiasco i would say yes i do expect some more changes coming in i wouldn't be surprised if we got a little bit more loaded up for 
want of a better phrase, on like the um, scouting side of the department. Um, and we took it upon ourselves to scout a little bit more. Obviously, as we've touched on a few times over the past few months, our academy is blossoming. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's because we're really good at scouting and we've got a good infrastructure there. At the same time, I'd probably expect that the, st- the statistics department that we do have is probably filled with a couple more people that are, are more experienced in football, um, maybe from the likes of clubs like Everton or something like that, who have got a really long and esteemed history of using statistics and scouting in the right way. Yeah. Um, so that would be really nice to see. But yeah, I do expect there'll be some background or back room staff changes as a result of this. Well, the, the guy that's replaced James Lovell uh, is, is just an interim for what I believe he is, but uh, but sources have have mentioned to me that he's very close with Ikanovic and and that Slav rates him, uh, and and thus his position I imagine in that statistics department is probably is probably to actually help build build bridges I would imagine between yeah. the management team between the scouting team uh, and between the analytics team and I mean if that works then it's got to be a good thing um, I've spoke to Dan the. Dan Crawford the other day, who said that he had only good things, he'd only heard good things about about James Lovell and his relationship. So I think in that in that in that respect, we have to we have to think of it as a positive, and we have to look forward in that way. Cool. And there's also a statement on the whole Klein thing from the Fulham Sports Trust earlier today, which uh, is potentially worth a read on their website. I did see. Yeah, very much so, and also obviously very much worth following the the supporters' trust across social media for good links between club and supporters indeed right um is that all for the post bag today uh, i think we'll leave the rest of the questions for the the phone in and and to give us some some ammunition in that kind of regard so that would be good yes the fulhamish phone in is coming out later this week hopefully it will be out wednesday night at the latest thursday morning we're going to get loads of you on the phone get your different opinions on things and we love doing the phone in it's always good for an international break because we managed to get some of your thoughts uh, as much as we love our own opinions it is always nice to hear things from the wider fulham community so looking forward to that uh, jack have you got a title for today's pod uh, Klein's up craig yeah Klein's nice up. nice like okay it. Kleins Up Craig is the title for today's podcast. Please do share uh, this pod and all of our social channels with any of your mates. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and and Fulhamish and Facebook (laughs) at Fulhamish Pod is the handle for that. So to Don Betts, thank you very much. All right. Jack Collins, thank you very much. Go on our website and read Nick's article. It's brilliant. And to Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Yeah, thank you, Sammy. Sorry. That's all right. Do go on the website and read the article. It's excellent. (laughs) Don't worry about me. Worry about the website. I do. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.